Episode 56, Being Vulnerable as a Man, with Di Manuel. Welcome to the story in your head. I'm Ron Macklin. And today, Deb, myself, and Di Manuel discuss the stories men must overcome to be vulnerable. Di examines the impact becoming a vulnerable man has had on his entire life and how his transition all started with one question from his wife. Are you looking to strengthen your relationships, whether personally or professionally? You want to learn how to build authentic connections faster, or perhaps you're looking to beat employee burnout through the power of connection. My name is Ron Macklin, founder of Macklin Connection, and in our workshops, we teach you the fundamentals of how to do exactly that and more. To learn more of the power of your relationships, visit us at MacklinConnection.com. Welcome to the story in your head. I'm Ron Macklin and Deb. We're all here today. And our guest is Di Emanuel. Di is our guest host. So we normally start out with just a short, we call it the elevator speech, but it's a pretty short building. So something like four or five stories, you know, just introduce yourself to our guests. Wow. Well, you know, my name's Di, Welsh name for David, because I'm sure people are like, well, that's a weird name. <laughs> and the last name's Manuel, which is Portuguese. And as I tell everybody, I'm Canadian. Don't worry about it. You know, like, uh, or I should say, don't worry about it. But, you know, I'm a father first and foremost of two teenage girls and now almost 18 and 20 now. And been dating my wife for the last 23 years. And then outside of that, I just like to help people navigate change, both professionally and personally. But it's often a mix and jumble of both. And yeah, and that's me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Diane. Thanks for being here today. You know, one of the things that really triggered me as I was looking into your, your background and what you do, I watched your TED Talk. Oh, thank you. And I watched your TED Talk about vulnerability and men. Mm-hmm. And there's a story there that I'd love if you can share with us just some of the some of the things that you've noticed about being a man mm-hmm. and being vulnerable. Well, first of all, thanks, Deb. And yeah, vulnerability, it, it, it's an interesting conversation because depending on what group you're speaking to about vulnerability. I, I have friends that work in IT and their definition of vulnerability is very different than mine, right? Because they talk about you know the, the, these computer networks and, and vulnerabilities and worries about viruses and hacking. I'm talking about something different, you know? And, and to be per- perfectly transparent, you know, vulnerability was something I didn't come to naturally. You know, when you think about all of us just as human beings, you know, we're, we're very good at learning. We're very adaptable. And yet... Learning that the two best methods for all of us and how we most of us learn is through modeling and mentorship. And when I think back on my childhood, right into my 20s and my 30s, the things that I was modeling and the lack of mentorship that I had in my life definitely sort of led me to this sort of negative perspective on being vulnerable. You know, like I, I always thought it, and again, I'm a man who identifies as a man and, and I tend to connect with a lot of other people that identify that way. And especially in our men's groups, we, we attract that same sort of perspective, same sort of individual. And, you know, this relationship with being vulnerable, being able to open up and be authentic, be transparent, but also share what's alive and real for us, you know, and 
it's not an easy conversation at times. It's not something that we've practiced nor practiced in a safe way. And, and there's this fear, you know, around that. And that, definitely that was just sort of how I lived, you know. And the only time I found myself getting raw and real with a friend was if I had a bunch of alcohol in me, right? And even then it was like the hopes that hopefully tomorrow morning no one remembers what we talked about, you know. And, and that was just, that was the status quo. It was the normal thing because that was what was being modeled around me. And some of the people that I believe were mentors, that was how they dealt with the tough stuff. And so alcohol became very much alive and real and present in my life. And, you know, in my mid-20s, I had my first daughter. A couple of years after that, I had my second. My wife and I, you know, a decade into our relationship, both the kids under the age of six, things came to a, a halt, you know, where I was positioned to make a decision very quickly. Big, big change. And at times, I often relate to changes. I don't know if you two remember Raiders of the Lost Ark, oh, yeah. classic Harrison Ford movie. You know, at the beginning, that big boulder that chases them out of the cave. Well, I think a lot of us look at change that way. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh my gosh, I got to run. I got to run fast because this thing's going to barrel me over and I can't do anything about it. And, and there's sort of that victim mentality that comes with some changes in our lives. And, and definitely, I felt like a victim of change. Like I was being forced to make a decision until that morning. When my wife confronted me after a night out and waking up on the floor, <laughs> face all rough from the Berber carpet, not remembering how I even got there, and, and, and literally told me, you know, this is not a healthy environment for, for us to raise our girls in. I'm done. I'm no longer going to enable this behavior, this habit of yours, which she had tolerated for a decade of us being together, you know, and, and I always justified my actions. You know, like, this is how I relieve stress. This is, I deserve this. I provide for our family. I mean, I had every excuse under the book as why I felt that that behavior was okay. And, and then she asked me a question. And this is sort of what I get into in the TED Talk. And this was the question, you know, me in my early 30s at this point. And, and oh man, like she's looking across the table, both red eyes, because we've been sobbing so much, coming to this realization that we're both in agreement. This isn't healthy. Things do need to change. And Maybe us not being together is the best solution. Not that either of us really wanted that, you know. And I know if our kids were, were older, they wouldn't have wanted that. And, and, and yet she asked me a question. And the question was, Di, are you being the type of man that you would want your daughters to marry? And, you know, for lack of a better way of describing this, it felt like I got punched in the nose, kicked between the legs, <laughs> and gutted all at the same time. You know, it was that instantaneous response. Oh, my gosh. You know, like... Because right then in that moment, I realized, no, if someone like me at that moment in my life showed up on my doorstep, I wouldn't allow them in my house, you know? And, and yet that's what I was modeling and that's what I was mentoring to not only the people closest to me, but also my business associates. I had a fairly large enterprise I co-founded and, you know, I was modeling a lot of behaviors that, to be honest, I, I, I'm not proud of. And it was in that moment I made a decision that I would go one year without drinking, you know? Now... Just, I know some people are probably listening, like, one year, like, that's not a big of a deal. You know, from the age 17 to that point in time at age 33, like, that 16-year span, the longest I've ever done is, like, a dry January, right? Like, that was it. So, this was a, a big deal to me at that time. And, you know, a, a few weeks into that commitment, I realized this is going to be really hard. And I was overwhelmed with anxiety and, and, and stress and overwhelm. And, and uh, I needed to unload that. But that was going to require me to be vulnerable, to open up about what was real for me. And it was a struggle. And uh, I dumped on my wife about three weeks in, you know, and I'm, 
like it was the first time I'd ever really opened up to my wife. And can you believe that? Like, you know, after 10 years of being together, this is the first time I actually like told her what was going on inside my head, inside my heart. And she accepted it. She heard it all. She was a very generous listener and saw me. I could see the empathy in her eyes, but also she was like, you know, I think you should talk to somebody. I'm like, talk to somebody. What do you mean? And, you know, and I knew what she meant. And I'd always been very averse to that. And I always thought, no, that's, that's weakness. You know, you know, I don't need help with this stuff. Like, I'm not going to tell anybody about what I'm dealing with. Like, fake it till you make it, baby. You know, like, I was so stereotypical and cliche. And, and yet I found help. Worked with a psychologist and also found a great therapist. We went to a relationships counselor, too, to work on our communication. And two sessions in, the counselor's looking at us on the couch. And she's like, you know, Christy, I think... I think it's better if Dai comes back on his own. <laughs> and so, you know, and, and it, it was six months. Like, literally, I committed myself to the work. And after six months, everything just changed. My perspective changed. I learned new tools and resources. And, and then that set in motion what I've been doing the last 14 years. You know, like, everything changed. Professionally, personally, psychologically, spiritually. Like, everything just changed. And I just, I'll finish the story on this note, you know, at the end of a year. Because people are probably wondering, well, what happened after the year? You know, like, we got to the end of the year. My wife's looking at me. She's like... Wow, I, I, you know, and she was like, I can't believe you did it. You know, <laughs> to be honest, I love Christy to death, but she was, I get it. I understand why she would have doubted me being successful with that. I mean, I doubted myself too. And she's like, well, you did the year. You, you want to celebrate when we watch the sunset tonight and share a bottle of wine. And, and to be honest, you know, that was very appealing. There was a part of me that was like, yeah, that would be great. I do want to celebrate. But there was also a part of me that was like, you know what? So much has changed in the last year. What if I keep going? Yeah, I just celebrated 14 years since I had my last drink, you know, and I'm, I'm proud about it. Yeah, of course I am. I mean, it's a, it was a big shift for me, but more than just that accomplishment, it was everything that I was able to create an impact in the lives I've been able to support and help based on that one decision from that one question 14 years ago asked by my wife. So, you know, and that's why I admire what you guys did with this podcast. You know, you're, 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 these stories in our heads are being pulled out, but shared. But it's also those pinnacle moments where maybe somebody asks us the right question that shifted our perspective just ever so slightly that we could see something differently that we couldn't see before. And, and I'm just honored to be here. So, yeah, th thanks for listening. You know, it's. Uh, no, no, thanks, Di. No, thank you. So first, we have a, we have a name uh, moment when somebody asks you a question. Mm -hmm. and, and like in a way, you could say your world shifts. You could say like something comes up that now you never saw before and we call them imaginal moments, Ooh, I like right? That. And the reason is there's an imaginal cell inside of a caterpillar that when it's triggered, it goes into its cocoon and comes out a butterfly. So the imaginal cell in a caterpillar will actually create a new world for them. So we call it imaginal moment because we don't have those cells that do that. We have mm -hmm. these things called stories mm -hmm. and those stories are more powerful than the cells. Mm, I love that. And we can create us to be whoever we want to be once we now hold that we have the power called stories to do so. And we have a way in our program, we're working with folks, like we don't ever tell people what to do because we know it doesn't work. Yeah, We, we ask questions, just like <laughs> your wife did. She said, <laughs> are you being the father you want the man that you want your daughters to marry, that's a, we call that tossing a line because it's not yeah. really telling anybody anything. It's just putting a yeah. question out there. Yeah. And then the space you get to sit in your own world and go, wow. Mm. Like one, hadn't thought about it that way. Two, this is no, I'm not. Three, 
I'm going to commit differently. Hmm. And what did your wife have to do with that? Nothing. She just crossed <laughs> the line. It was all you who did that changing in your head. And we worked to build those skills. So we, that's why we call the podcast a story in your head. It's because that's all we have. Hmm. All those stories in our head, everything that's in our head, we put there. Hmm. Everything that can happen from our head, we modify it, we change it, and we focus on this podcast for people to notice that they really do have that superpower. Hmm. And when you're going into a little bit here, but like when you're vulnerable, you're really also being authentic. Mm-hmm. And it's really you speaking. And if you want to create a different you, a new you, a powerful you for whatever you want, being vulnerable opens a space to notice who you are. Not who you think you are, but all those stories that you really have inside your head are now yours, real. And because you created them, you can create different ones. And you've done that. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. We've done it. We've done it several times. Now, for me, it wasn't alcohol. It was ambition and drive and how, how to take care of my family and to do that space. But everybody has the space to do that. And our goal is to enable everybody to notice, I could do this. And if you need therapy, help, cool. If you need a friend, cool. If you need a program, cool. <laughs> but all of that's going to happen inside of our own heads. It's not going to happen by somebody else. It's us who gets the chance to do that. And that's what we're, we're here to create for our, ourselves and others. Beautiful. And what I've noticed, and this is for, for Deb, us working with guys and gals like Di, it just helps me to hold it so much better. So like in a way, our listeners are getting something. In a way, so am I. Absolutely. Mm. Oh, that's yeah, yeah. so powerful. I love it. I love it. So if you were going to call vulnerability like a description of it, what would you call the vulnerability, being vulnerable? Because some people get vulnerability like it's a weakness. Yeah. Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Right. You know, Absolutely. Where, 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 where am I vulnerable at? Right. At the same time, what would you call it? Well, I, I usually, you know, it's kind of funny, but just your, your idea of tossing the line, right? Throwing the line. I often throw that back to, to especially, you know, in some of the men's groups, we often ask, like, what's alive and real for you? Meaning, like, what, right now, what, what is that thing that's just sort of heavy or weighing on you? And it could be also something that you want to celebrate. I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but I know as a man, sometimes around some of my closest friends or colleagues, I would hold back even celebrating my victories, the things I was most proud of achieving in fear of that level of vulnerability being taken as me bragging or boasting or, or positioning myself in such a way that they, they take it completely wrong, you know, like more as a threatening, threatening thing. And so we really want to hold a, a space where men can celebrate the good stuff. And we can acknowledge, wow, man, that's great. You know, we know you've been working hard for that. This is a huge accomplishment. But also on the flip side, that level of vulnerability to be able to open up of what's live and real, even the hard, heavy stuff, the, the things that we will harbor inside and hold in and not share with anybody out of fear of maybe it being misused against us, maybe it being taken out of context. <laughs> I mean, my goodness, we look at cancel culture nowadays. I mean, everyone's a little bit shy of what they want to open up about, even if they've done something accidentally or made a mistake. I mean, we, we gosh, nobody's perfect. But there's a lot of fear around being vulnerable, about opening up and being authentic. And so what I like to ask people and really throw back at them is like, listen, 
do you have an intimate connection with somebody in your life? Have you been on a date? <laughs> like, it, because if you have at some point, and especially if you've had a second date <laughs> with that individual, you've already practiced this skill of vulnerability to some level. Do you have a child? You know, do you have a grandparent? Do you have a parent that you've ever opened up to or wanted to open up to or to share really how you feel about them? And that's all vulnerability. And, and the act of being vulnerable actually brings us closer together. And by being vulnerable, it actually gives those other individuals permission to be vulnerable back. But that's the crazy thing about vulnerability. Somebody's got to go first. So who's going first? And, and so I, I position it that way. I'm like, I'm going to go first. You know what? I'm, I'm done with this. I'm just going to go first. And hopefully by showing, not telling, you know, the actual action of being vulnerable, it also inspires and opens up others to have the strength to do it themselves. And I'm finding that's the way it's working, you know, and I'm not the only one talking about this. There's other people sharing these stories. You have a great platform that's talking about stories and sharing those stories, those vulnerable moments. And, and I think the more that this conversation is shared, more and more people are becoming aware of it and, and looking for safe spaces to practice it. Because I think it is a skill, like any other skill, but we need a place to practice it where we do feel safe to practice it. And, and that's the challenge, I think, today, you know, is, is finding those little containers where we can. Yeah, I you took me back to like my own family, the men in my own family, mm-hmm. right? That you know sometimes they would apologize if they cried if something really struck them oh. as emotional, or you know they would apologize because they weren't supposed to be that way, right? They weren't mm-hmm. supposed to be emotional and they weren't supposed to be vulnerable, and you know they were supposed to be this you know wearing their armor and protective and. I had that with some of the men in my family, but then there's others. I think about my grandfather and how open he was to sharing of himself and his fears and his failures and his successes and how that, like how deeply connected I was with my grandfather because of that. And, And then I can think of the others that like don't, they, you know, not, not just family members, but friends, you know, they don't want to, put the armor down. And I, I'm limited in how much I can connect with them because I don't, I don't, I don't know that they're going to be vulnerable back if I share a story, right? I'm scared. I'm scared to share of myself because I don't know what, what their response is going to be. But how do you, how do you respond to, I know you, it's so fantastic that you've gone first, but how do you, how do you create that space for others to be really vulnerable with you? Well, I have to think back to my own experience. And I did, I mean, I got to a place where, you know, it was so overwhelming. And my main crutch for dealing with that was taken away, you know, and by choice, you know, and I, I refer to it as a crutch because it was, I, I functioned very well, but knowing that I had this outlet you know, to sort of have this temporary escape from the heaviness that I was, I was bottling in, you know, and that was alcohol. It was going out. It was playing around a golf with the guys and hanging out on the 19th, you know, for, for the evening. And it, it was literally those habits. And, and when I started to take those habits away and started to change just how I was dealing with a lot of that overwhelm and anxiety and stress that I was harboring, it got to a place where it just bottled over and it was either I I let it out and let it out to somebody I have so much trust 
and faith in, which was my partner, my wife, Christy. And I just had to take the risk. You know, you sort of take that leap of faith in a way at times, you know, like, and, and I did. And luckily it was received in a way that allowed me to feel heard and seen and, and appreciated, but more importantly, empathized. And, and just her being able to look at me in that way that allowed me to know that things are going to be okay. And, and I really wish that everybody had that. And if we don't have that, I think there are communities out there that we can align with, that we can join. And, and it's not just joining community. It's actually finding a community that we feel like we belong in, we belong to, belong with. You know, I know it's really easy on Facebook. I'm oh, join, 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 join. Right? Like it's it's more than that. It's finding this this community of like minded people that have similar experiences or might be just a couple steps ahead on the journey, because that model behavior, that mentorship that can be then offered, and that space can be offered, where it's okay to practice this, and you know it's going to be received well. Like I used to deal with a lot of social anxiety, especially as a kid. I was morbidly obese as a teenager. And, and as such, I used to isolate myself and avoid being in the public eye and even like family outings. Like I just, I was very sheltered. I was very withdrawn. And I knew many years ago, I, I wanted to make more impact. I wanted to start telling a story. I wanted to connect with bigger audiences. But I was like, no way, man. <laughs> that means I got to step out of this, this, this fear, this, this concern. And I'm very fortunate. I, I found Toastmasters. And it is just an amazing community. It's a nonprofit global entity that helps people that deal with this fear of public speaking or of being seen in the public eye, you know, of being more effective with our communication, telling a better story, being clear with how we communicate. And, and they welcome me in with open arms. I remember the first time I had to stand up there. I mean, it's just like a little icebreaker speech. It's only a few minutes long. And I was like petrified and I was shaking my hands or sweating my face. And, and I remember I finished that talk and this club that I was part of, everybody stood up and were clapping. It was like a standing ovation at the end of it. And, you know, it's it, of course, it's like, was it standing ovation worthy? I don't think so. But that gesture was so loving and so caring, but I also knew it was authentic. And, and that was like just such an empowering moment for me. And, that, you know, I, I went all in. Just like what I did when I committed to doing the work for those six months with those professionals, I just went all in. I'm like, I want to do this. I want to overcome this. I am more than my fear. But it was because I had a great community and I had people there that would already had a few steps ahead of me that could help guide me. And there's communities out there like this. They're all over the place. But you got to look for them. You got to find them. And then you got to join and participate. And, and, and you know what? Only good stuff's going to happen when you do that. I just know it. So, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks, Ty. Deb, the question you ask, I think, is a is a powerful question, which is one of my goals in life is to find the good questions. <laughs> Answers seem to be easier to come by. Questions, much more challenging. <laughs> when I look at me being vulnerable, there's a space where I go, well, will, will they be vulnerable back? And then <laughs> I notice I'm really working on them and what they're going to do versus my stand. Will I be vulnerable because it's my stand to be vulnerable? Right? Does it? Do I have a better chance of them being vulnerable as well when I've been vulnerable? I've found that yes. Do I need them to be vulnerable for me to be vulnerable? That's a great question. When I can hold that story in my head, like, is that why I'm doing it? Just so they'll do it? Or am I doing it for me? <laughs> when I notice about myself when I'm vulnerable, like there's this whole, and I'm being a sports guy, right? There's that whole, you walk on the field for the first time, right? And, and I mean, the first time of any game, no matter how many years or decades you played, you walk on the field of play and you are scared to death. There's that whole moment of, 
oh my God, it's going to start. And then there's the first hit. And then you're just having fun. You're just playing the game. And I find it the same true when I start to tell my story of being vulnerable. Like when I'm being vulnerable with somebody, it's all that up to the point where I start to talk about it. But once I start to talk about it, it's just me being me. Mm-hmm. And whether or not they're vulnerable or not, I still get the power of sharing my story and talking about my fears, talking about what I've gone through, my failures, my, my learnings, my successes. And what I've noticed, uh, we're doing this work for the last 25 years, what I've noticed is I'm beginning to be able to notice how powerful somebody is by how easily they talk about their fears and they're vulnerable. And the more that they talk about their fears, the more peace they have, the more power they have, the more capacity to live the life they want to live because they have fears. Fears don't have them. Mm. And when I talk about my fears, it's that way. And I was triggered also, Di, when you were talking earlier, you know, about being celebrating, right? And then also your sadnesses, right? I get all mixed up on that. And, and here's why. Sometimes when I get really happy, I cry, right? Like it, it reaches a point of a, like a, you're being successful and you're looking down, I didn't think this could happen. I, like I, I, this is a surprise to me and you get the tears to flow and, and you're celebrating, right? And there's also sometimes when like you have a big failure and you go, oh, I didn't know that. I had no idea that wouldn't work. I thought that would work. I thought it would work perfect. And it didn't work at all. What, do we, what can we learn out of it? And then I have it the other way around. Sometimes I'm celebrating like, yes. And sometimes I'm going inside like, oh, I can't believe I screwed that up again. Right. I, and so I, I find when you're vulnerable, when you're open, the emotions, whatever it is I used to have down deep, they're not down deep anymore. Mm. They're out. They're out. They're easy. They're ready to hand. And the thing that I've noticed is when you can be that way, celebrating or, or sad, crying or, or whatever that is in a space, there's a connection that I can find with another human being, right? And hugging is so not a part of our culture. And yet at that moment when you do, you share that space, it's a different world. And I, I could say, well, that's a man thing because I did it with men, but I've also done that with women, not my partner, not in that to be my bride or to right in that space, not dating, just another human being in the world. And a hug is just amazingly powerful. But just a hug for the sake of hug, no. When you're in a mode of celebration or sadness or whatever it is, those moments I, you never forget. You build a connection that's like almost permanent in that space. And that is worth the effort. That's, that's worth the time. That's worth the energy because I feel connected to somebody else. I, I, do, I do notice I have a deep desire to connect with other humans. And I think that everybody does. Wonderful. Oh, man. Love that. Thank you. I keep thinking about your daughters, Di. <laughs> How has this impacted your family? Well, it, I mean, everything changed, you know? It really did. And it became a lot more present for my family. I still struggle at times. My, my eldest... <laughs> Chardonnay will laugh at this, but she'll also agree. We are so alike. It is eerie at times. And the good, the bad, and the, oh boy. <laughs> you know, like I, I see so many traits in her and I'm like, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I gave you that. And so we can be close at the best of times, but also we can be challenged at the best of times. And, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it's okay, but we, we have more tools and resources now and we're both willing to work through it as hard as it is at times. And and I'm very grateful for that because when I think back to how my dad dealt with conflict, and you know, I, I don't, I've worked through it. Like I, I, 
don't have any harborings towards my father any longer. He, he passed from pancreatic cancer five years ago. And, but, you know, my parents divorced when I, I was nine or separated at nine and then eventually divorced. And my dad was already very committed to work at that time, building a practice. And he just wasn't around a lot, you know? And, and when the separation divorce happened, it was even less. We were with my mom full time. And, and so, you know, I, my mom provided all this emotional support, but also everything else. And and as such, you know, I, I went through a lot of challenges with that. But I used to really begrudge my dad, you know, and, and have some. I harbored a lot of negative feelings towards him for for that disruption in the family. But the way he used to model, and I remember how he would deal with conflict. You just avoid it. Mm-hmm. And, and to be fair, that's just what he was taught from his father and his grandfather and and his brothers, right? Like it was just it was just normal. And, and so. I knew, especially going through this myself a number of years ago, was I, I didn't want to do that for my kids. You know, I wanted to be different. I wanted to handle things differently. And it's, it's, I'm not saying it's easy, but it is worth it. You know, all the work. And a little side note, on Monday this week, so just a couple of days ago, I moved my, my almost 20-year-old in with her boyfriend. So it was like this huge change and still processing. <laughs> So uh, we love him. He's great. We we really get along with his family, and they've been together for quite a while now. And but still, it's just that I don't remember what it was like being twenty anymore. And what are you doing? You know, like so there's this whole conflicted, and you know, trying to be vulnerable and share with her how our emotions and where I'm at. And it's been interesting. But the, the, the long and short of it all is, it's it's made the relationship much more connected. I'm much more present for their life, the good, the bad, and the challenging. And it brings me a whole different level of fulfillment and joy as such. So that's hopefully any parents that are listening to this can, can take that any way they want. But I can tell you, it definitely brings your kids closer because I'd much rather them come to us when they have a problem or a challenge than go to the friends online and to go to other people that may not have the resources nor the, the understanding to support them. And I'd much rather them. And so we've always, since this whole change had happened, Chrissy was always great at being supportive, but I'm much more present for those conversations and, and hold space for them when they need it. And it feels really good. Yeah, that's, that's amazing because I was triggered to think about how these stories pass down, mm-hmm. like your, your dad's story of just avoiding conflict, right? He got that from his father and his father and how these stories, we can think they're true, right? Because mm-hmm. that's what yeah. you do. Everyone knows that's, that's the story that was passed down through the generations is that's what you do. You avoid the conflict, but it's never, it doesn't go away, right? It's just like, oh, I'm going to avoid it. So now it's gone. It's great. It's like, it just sits there. And, and it almost like the, the bigger the story, the longer the story is for your, your family, the harder it is to, to break out of that. The legacy, right? It's like, yeah. <laughs> and a legacy of stories yeah. that we live yeah. in. Yeah, that's true. It's that so true. Sense. So we're coming down to the end of our time. So thank you, Di, for for faith. Thank you. Oh, wow. What showed up for you today? You know, I feel really heard, but also more than that, just more connected. I, I, I really, you know, it's interesting because you know, you, you, you see people online, you, you hear things online, and, and we just have these very filtered ways of of connecting with people. And this is just a very connected conversation, and I, I loved it every moment of it. But I'm also taking a lot of value away from some of the things that you both shared. And just also that reassurance that vulnerability is a good thing to develop and to endorse and to embrace and to also encourage in others. So I I just want to say thank you for being wonderful examples of that. Thanks, Di. Thank you, Di. Deb, 
What, what shows up for you today? <laughs> Again, as if I didn't understand the power of stories, right? But but the power of changing our story and that tossing that line, the courage that it took for your wife to toss what may have been a very difficult line for her to toss and a, and a difficult line for you to hear. But I I also take away the love and care that it takes to toss those really difficult lines that open up a space for someone to change. I mean, that's what I really heard you today in that. And and just how do I do that with, with especially with those I love, like, how do I open up those spaces for them? So I, th- I thank you for sharing that story. Thanks. I acknowledge uh, sharing as well, Di. That story that's in our head that we don't, I mean, that's the, the power of it is we make up a story and then we forget that we made up the story and then we think it's the real thing. And to build the skill to go, okay, so that's the story in my head, not that's real. Mm-hmm. And to have that shift enables us to create all kinds of new stuff. And I don't mean like some new invention. I'm talking about new stuff as in a relationship with your parents, a relationship with your aunt and uncle, your, your spouse, your kids, your neighbors, your friends, and what a space that can be. And I just lived through a space where my wife's aunt passed away not too long ago. And through all this practice, I got to the place where it's one of my practices now is I can get clean with anybody, like anything, and thank them for everything that they've done, let them know who they are for me, and I didn't do this before. And when people passed, I was toast because I had all kinds of regrets and all kinds of other stories in my head that I go, I should have said something. I should have told them. I don't know how important I am and blah, blah, blah. And when, when she passed away, I was good because I told her. And she could, we could be with each other. And we were vulnerable and authentic and real. And I was 58 and she was 96 but i could you know the the importance that she played in my life i could share that with her and by doing so when she passed i was at peace i was sad but i had no regrets i had no missed things i should have done or anything that space i could be at peace with with that happening and to make sure that and through this conversation today was how do i create and notice when I create those stories and then clean them up if I need to and go be with the other people so that I'm always in a place where if something happens, I can still be at peace. Beautiful. Thank you. So with that, Di, thank you for being on our show. Thank you very much. It was great. Thank you. It was so much fun. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the podcast today. At Macklin Connection, we believe making authentic connections with others can literally change your world. We invite you to share this podcast with one person that you care about. Maybe it's someone you haven't spoken with in a really long time and you'd love to reconnect. Or maybe it's the first person that popped into your head when you listened to this podcast because you thought it would be perfect for them. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.